Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And we're the hosts of the Anxiety Chicks podcast, where we dive deep into the reality of anxiety, nutrition, and mental health. Listen as we explore all things anxiety healing while keeping it real, including our own struggles with mental health. We'll bring our expertise as healing professionals to the conversation while discussing the tools and strategies you need to heal the anxious mind. Listen to the Anxiety Chicks on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepinara. And today we have a special guest that is kind of not ever replacing Taylor, our number one chick. Um, but we kind of have another chick. Well, I don't know if you would call him a chick. We would say maybe. Who, can, who knows? Um, you let us know what you would like to be called. But I'm so excited for this episode because we I've been OK. I'm just going to introduce you honestly, because I just want to get started. Anxiety Josh is here. Hello. How are you? Hi, Alison. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, in, in, in place of, of Taylor today. Don't, worry, don't get me wrong. I'm only a step bum. I'm not here to replace your real mum. Yeah. And hopefully we can all get on. And you all get two Christmases every year. Isn't that nice? Um, no, thanks for having me on. I've been really excited to uh, talk about a subject that we both like to. Yeah. And for anyone that's living under a rock, um, and just kidding, Anxiety Josh is another amazing healer who I have connected with on Instagram um, and therapist years ago, probably like before COVID, right? When we were starting our pages, um, when there wasn't as many mental health pages out there as there mm. are now. I feel like mm. there's so many wonderful ones, but um, we kind of got connected and I remember loving your work and also meeting a fellow therapist and who specialized in anxiety and really talked authentically about anxiety and also talked about your own struggles with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, I just loved, I loved that. So welcome. And thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, but before we get hop into our topic, which I'm so excited to talk about today, because I think this is something that's going to help so many people. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what got you into the work as a healer and got you to this point? Yeah, so, um, yeah, just reiterate, my name's Joshua Fletcher, or Anxiety Josh. Uh, my mother did not name me Anxiety. I mean, that would be quite um, fatalistic, <laughs> predeterministic. When you blow up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I became a therapist uh, in my mid-20s after suffering from an anxiety disorder. Um, I had panic disorder, agoraphobia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, as well as uh, suspected uh, ASD or autism, um, which I've come to come to um, terms with now. Um, I really enjoyed being a teacher uh, until I couldn't because of my mental health, and so I was drawn into the world of psychology, trying to work out what was happening to me. Um, drawn to the works of Dr. Claire Weeks, people like that. Um, and, and finally just learning about kind of what was happening to me. I then studied to be a therapist. I mean, it's a very shortened version of the story. I started mm -hmm. to be a therapist. I really enjoy specializing in, in anxiety and anxiety disorders. And I aim to work with as, as, as many people as I can today or educate as many people as I can, um, either through social media or being a guest on, on podcasts like this or in the media. And it's something I'm really passionate about, whether I'm writing about it or talking about it. And uh, hopefully I can provide some words of wisdom today. Yes. Well, and and I appreciate you um, just being very open about your struggles too, um, because I think, you know, w w there, it's a little different today in 2023, but, you know, when we were kind of first starting our social media journey and even before that, when I was in school for psychology and all of this, getting my master's degree, no one, we were always taught that as clinicians, we shouldn't be talking about our own you know, anxieties or any of our own mental health issues. And while, of course, there needs to be certain boundaries when it comes to a session with a client, right? You know, um, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, my 
viewpoint and I think a lot of other people in the field's viewpoint of self-disclosure is very different now. Um, and I think it's actually can be really helpful for some clients to know that, you know, some of who they're working with has also struggled with the things they're going through. You know what I mean? Do you find that? Yeah, I think the word that comes to mind to me is is tasteful. It's tasteful self-disclosure, obviously, like you said, with boundaries. So one of my, for the, for the want of a better phrase, USPs, unique selling points, is that you know, I'm, a, I'm a qualified therapist at the top of my field here in the UK, but also I'm document kind of what it's like to have anxiety properly. I've had a lot of anxiety. I've not experienced everything, every presentation, but I've experienced um, a lot of it. And, and people like that. There's a trust. It kind of affects the power dynamic. Suddenly it's not just me you know, pretending to be a know-it-all because I've read all the books, done the academia, and, well, let the theory decide. Actually, with that comes an empathy. It comes – what I hear a lot is, actually, you know, he kind of gets it, and same with you. It's like, oh, they get it. They, they know what it feels like. And I think that does a lot of the work as a therapist sometimes because there's you started to build some trust there because it's like, oh, they – they do know what it's like and therefore it saves me the lot, a lot of time as a client or someone browsing through social media to kind of convey the empathy that I need. And I know that some people with anxiety disorders are very frustrated. They've got family members that don't understand, partners that don't understand. And when you use social media like that for tasteful self-disclosure, it kind of makes people feel less alone. And it's got that trust there. You're like, actually, yeah, they, they know what they, they've been through it. So hopefully they know, you know, what they're talking about. It gives me a bit of hope as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that was kind of my, it's been my main mission for, um, you know, my social media brand is to ha have um, this community of people where they feel less alone in what they're going through. And I think that's been the most incredible thing for social media. I know there's a lot of other reasons why it's not so great and can be toxic. Um, but I really do appreciate all of the other types of healers that I've met and um, clinicians and coaches and just people who are are going through what they're going through, just being so open and feeling like this community is so safe. So. Um, that's kind of essentially where I hope in my office and in my practice, but also in my courses and my page and on here, I want people to just feel safe with the space that they're in, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I think that, that you create that too on, on your social media spaces. So I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. And it's also, like, like I said, when I said it's tasteful, it's like, oh, showing vulnerability in a kind of professional non-ashamed way like you know this but also modeling that you know this is part of of, of recovery of or as you say healing and and actually you know this this can be part of recovery as opposed to just me holding up a phone taking selfies and trauma dumping all afternoon on you it's a big difference isn't it that's an idea. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, don't do that. Well, and there's also a big difference between, I think, what what we try and like the message we try and um, put across versus like toxic positivity, right? Um, and people that do kind of promote this. Everything's great. Let's just be positive, and this is what's going to work. And good vibes only. Yeah, good vibes only. You know, I think maybe that does work for some people. I don't want to discount that. Um, and poop on it but i know um as I, as someone who is I just can authentic I, can I, can I poo -poo okay you want to poo poo it? i'm the guest i can leave you can get you can get the flack for this i just think it's nonsense i think we're all human you know i understand the brain it's like you're gonna have good days you're gonna have bad right. days roll with it yeah <laughs> roll with right. it. right <laughs> yeah well yeah so thank you thank you for validating that um but right so it's just a fine line right between trying to understand your own um, limitations and recovery and what helps you and say there's pages, there's different types of pages on social media and YouTube channels that are amazing. And it's just, it's, it's great that we have this platform now. I almost wish I had it like 50, 20 years ago when I was in my early twenties going through the worst like anxiety and depression of my life. If I, mm -hmm. I, I feel like if we, I had some of these platforms to go to, I would have actually felt 
really less alone and maybe been able to get the help I needed sooner, you know? Mm. So, but needless to say, um, I'm so excited that, that we're here today. And I do want to kind of get into the topic because I've been getting some DMs um, about people that have either been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or yeah. they can recognize that they are struggling with anxiety. Maybe it's generalized anxiety or feeling just really overwhelmed and they kind of don't know where to start with their healing. Okay. They're... Um, you know, they have suggestions from their doctor. You know, a lot of them haven't been diagnosed by a psychiatrist and um, a lot of them have just gone to their primary doctor and they're just, they said, you know, you have this, maybe, maybe they said, you know, this kind of medication could help you and they don't necessarily want to start there, but they're like, okay, maybe, but this can't be it. Like, what else can I do? Yeah. And they're sort of just confused on where to start. So do you have any suggestions on Yeah, I love, answer, I love ask, answering this question. And um, I also say to people as well, because the, well, depending on the anxiety you have, um, it's up to you what you do with it. You know, uh, for some people, it's important to have that diagnosis for some people. Anyway, to begin with, if you're struggling with anxiety, I always find it helpful to split it into two. You've got your conventional anxiety and you've got your disordered anxiety. Conventional anxiety is that kind of, is the anxiety that everyone can relate to. It's the anxiety that even your friends, partner, family who don't get it will get this. So it's the a picture, you're at an exam or your driving test or a first date, maybe it's a medical procedure, maybe it's a job interview, you know, really scary stuff. And that is anxiety and it's anxiety mm -hmm. in very strong form. Um, and it's just as valuable and just as um, should be taken as seriously as a feeling. You know, um, if, if I've got a friend who's really scared about their upcoming driving test, then, you know, I'm going to support that, you know. And so the first thing I'd ask is what, what kind of anxiety, actually? Yeah, no, my, I struggle a lot with conventional anxiety. I'm just worrying about lots of things that are just genuinely worth worrying about. You know, worried about my children in school, worried all that. Okay, cool. You can work with that. And conventional anxiety often has solutions to it as well. So it's like, you know, after the driving test is over and hopefully you've passed, done. You know, that anxiety kind of dissipates. You know, when you when your children get through school and they're healthy and all that, the anxiety dissipates. Uh, if you get the job at the job interview, the anxiety dissipates. You get it. Um, well, this is the first thing I ask clients. Um, and then the other side of anxiety is your disordered inwards anxiety. And this is the kind of anxiety where our threat response in our brain goes off um, when we don't want it to, and it's excessive and reoccurring. So these are the people that wake up feeling anxious first thing in the morning. These are the people that walk around with a constant s sense of doom and dread. These are the people who have panic attacks, um, weird, strange physical, physical sensations all day. Um, these are the people who struggle with intrusive thoughts, but, you know, about violence, sexual stuff, really taboo stuff that, you know, or just bizarre thoughts. Um, and it consumes the majority of their week. It really gets in the way of their life. It even gets in the way of worrying about conventional things or mixes with conventional things. So, for example, if you're someone who, you know, okay, has things to worry about day to day that a lot of people worry about, but then also suffering from panic attacks and then you avoid places because of panic attacks, then you're constantly Googling because of panic attacks and you're constantly scanning yourself because mm -hmm. of panic attacks, then you're dealing with the disordered territory there. Um, and that's kind of what I would first look for. So step number one, if you're anxious and you're listening to this, I'd say well, pinpoint what kind of anxiety that I'm, I'm struggling with at the moment. You know, okay, well, this, I'm, I'm into the, the disordered territory here. Um, and then I will, you know, pinpoint how it presents. And if you want me to, uh, I can kind of give you a whistle-stop tour of, of kind of where it is because I think it's super important to place kind of where your anxiety is, what kind of anxiety have you got, 
Yeah. Uh, it's really annoying when, you know, I struggle, I've struggled with OCD, which is a really misunderstood kind of mm-hmm. anxiety condition. And then someone in my family says, oh, I've had anxiety. You know, I did meditation. It worked. I was like, well, that's great for you. But actually yeah. meditation for OCD and somatic based anxiety is actually not good for me. You know, so it's very, di- <laughs> it's very different. So I always find step one, what kind of anxiety you got? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I love that clarification because, um, you know, conventional versus disordered is something that I think is very blurry for a lot of people, which is understood because even as clinicians, I still, you know, am educating myself about disordered anxiety versus conventional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like the simplest way that I think about it when I think of, you know, is this, is this something that's more disordered is I ask myself if it's affecting my daily functioning. Um, so, you know, is my sleep affected? Is my eating affected? Are my relationships affected by this? Um, am I constantly ruminating? Can I, um, you know, am I able to work or, or even if I am working, do I feel like I'm losing focus really easily? And I'm so in my, in my head, you know, quote unquote, um, and have just so many racing thoughts. And so I think if it's really affecting your daily functioning, um, in your life, then there's definitely more of a reason to kind of look in, into that and think of a more, you know, I would say professional type of, Mm. um, recovery method, but not just that, like along with other things, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And when I say disorders, I don't mean like go and diagnose yourself. You don't have to, mm-hmm. but it's, I find it, it helps people realize, oh, there's a type of anxiety that I'm struggling with. It's not just anxiety. Anxiety is a huge, um, topic. It's got a huge spectrum of things that, that it can present, you know, whether it's sure. what if thoughts, I, you right. know, or physical sensations, feelings, you know, I could feel anxious, but that means I'm nervous. I've got a headache and I've got, you know, what if I get fired or someone else could be terrified, have, what if I'm going to die and pass out and have palpitations, derealization, um, they feel like they're going to lose control of their bowels. Both are anxiety, both quite different, you know, so it's kind of pin- pinpointing what, what yours is. Um, but yeah, you're right. If it's, if it's the kind of anxiety that's affecting your day, like, and not just over an hour, <laughs> some people right. might be listening and be like, oh, I, I didn't sleep last night and I had an argument with my partner. Maybe I've got disorder right. anxiety. No, that happens to everyone. But I'm saying if it's been a few months, yeah, oh, yeah. In fact, one of the most common ones I hear is, what I, I really wish I feel like, felt like the old me again, or mm. what if this is me forever? Or w- what if I never feel calm again or, or what that's when you kind of know that you're in the disordered anxiety territory yeah and i i think it's interesting that i heard you say something and a light bulb went off in my head because as i think about my private practice and um clients that i work with and you know even people that i support on my platform um you know it it's almost as if people don't necessarily have the language, myself included, of how to really express what it is that's happening to them that's uncomfortable. So it's Absolutely. just like, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious. Oh my gosh, that give me that gives me such anxiety. But it's such a blanket statement that people say a lot these days. And that's part of the work that I do with my clients is to kind of um, peel back that layer of the onion and understand, um, you know, where is it at the core of what's really happening? And, and okay, you're mm. saying you feel anxious because something's uncomfortable. What, what are the emotions underneath that? Like what really is going on? And you're right. Maybe it's I'm nervous because, you know, I'm going on a date tomorrow or I'm really scared because my dad is getting really sick and I'm really scared that he's going to die soon and I'm feeling really sad. You know, there's trying to peel back what really is going on underneath the layers. Yeah, and, and obviously they can – Intertwined. So, if you're struggling, somebody struggles with PTSD or complex trauma, you know, going on a on a date might, you know, evoke both. Right. Not only yeah. am I nervous about the date, but it's maybe it's triggering things in me. Um, if you're someone who has agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving a safe space for fear that you'll lose control or panic, 
you know, yeah, okay, driving your driving test is scary, but also you're driving far away from home. So you've got like two types of anxiety to deal with. Fair play if you're, if you're doing that. Um, you know, if, if you're excited or nervous to go to a, a, the theater or to a music gig for the first time, that can be quite nerve, nerve wracking. But then also you struggle with monophobia, which is I don't really like to go anywhere on my own. Well, then you're going to be dealing with the disorder side too, aren't you? So, you know, they intertwine quite a lot. Mm. Um, but mm. I always invite people to say, well, what, what's the problem here? What's really causing you the biggest barrier? And that's what you highlight. And go with, you know, it depends on the approach you have. But I always suggest, and depending on the modality of your therapist, you know, it's kind of go with what feels right and what's most pressing um for me i just wanted to be able to walk to the end of my road yeah right but i wasted a long a lot of time in therapy with the therapist telling me no we must un, you know we must unpick the trauma he went through it's like what's that got to do with me walking to the end of my road i just want to walk to the end of my road like mm-hmm. just help me with that you know um and then if i want to explore trauma at a later date i i could and did but you know it's a bit like kind of you've got to identify what the problem is for you first because it's empowering you just don't want a therapist coming in and saying right it's this it's because of this because of that this trauma your divorce you're bullied then right do this stand on your head 10 hail marys some sertraline and metazapine on your way no no it's like kind of you identify actually what's the what's the anxiety i really want to address first that's why I included an entire chapter on self-advocacy in my book, um, The Anxiety Healer's Guide. I There's a whole chapter about how to actually find the right clinician and what questions you can ask to make sure that if you are looking for a therapist or even psychiatrist or all the differences between um, the schooling and what questions you need to ask before you even go and see one. I'm glad that we have none of that in the UK. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's, it's so important to know if you're trying to look for some help to ask the right questions. Um, But so it sounds like that what you're saying is maybe one of the first steps towards healing that can be really helpful is like a self-awareness about what's going on for you and learning more about, the like the feeling you're having also but the thoughts that you're having or or maybe what situations are more triggering to you like just gaining more self-awareness about those things that could be a good start yeah i mean you've got to answer well what am i healing if you don't know what you're healing then what's then when where do you start for me my when i had um an anxiety disorder the first thing that needed healing was my phobia of anxiety itself. That was the biggest problem for me. I was scared of panicking. I was scared of all my symptoms. I was scared and obsessed and fixated on how I felt. And so healing for me was learning that it was okay to leave it alone and Mm. trusting that my body will bring itself back to balance, which it did. And I spent years not doing that. Then afterwards, the kind of what, what constituted healing for me was understanding how I got to that situation and actually, you know, being going through a lot of stress and trauma. And that's when conventional talking therapy really helped for me, not initially, but like, you know, when I had different types of therapy at different times, but mm-hmm. you know, it was a very kind of CPT approach to begin with. That I really engaged with if you get a good therapist. Yeah. Um, and then the second uh, part was like, well, how did I get here? And I often use the non-original analogy of the stress jug. But, you know, you're kind of looking at, well, actually all these stressful events and traumatic things and that have happened in my life were filling up my stress jug. And one day, stress jug was about to overflow. And I do this with my clients as well. Um, I think I... That was it. I dropped the spoon because I was being very British and making a cup of tea. Mm. And the spoon made a loud noise. Bang, that was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And I suddenly was hit by this wave of derealization. I froze. Everyone looked like clay. My heart starts racing. I thought, I'd, I was like, oh, you, 
you've finally done it, Josh. You've lost your mind, you muppet. Uh, and that was it. Yeah. And I started on, and then, but what actually happened in simple terms was that I was so stressed, my brain, my threat response thought I was in danger. And so it became hypersensitive and started triggering because it always thought I was in danger. It, it confused stress with danger. So for me, healing was a two-step process. Step one is learn about what's happening to you, whether it's physiologically, biologically, mm -hmm. identifying what's happening, what you're scared of, what the problem is. Secondly, is kind of understanding how you got there, talking mm -hmm. through things in that stress jug uh, and being very self-compassionate to yourself. And that's probably the, uh, the succinctest way I've described kind of what... <laughs> how I work and how I recovered. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I would say that anyone listening to this episode, if this is the first thing that you're doing after you're, you know, if you're feeling anxious, maybe the first type of, you know, you love podcasts and you were searching something on anxiety and you're trying to learn about it now, uh, you, you really need to work on learning to give yourself credit and love yourself and have self-compassion. I mean, that for me, I think is a huge part of the journey that um, I would say if you can kind of make that a priority when you begin the journey of recovery in your healing, that is going to be, and, and again, healing is not linear. So it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to give you a list of 10 things to start doing tomorrow. And then that's it. You're going to be cured next week. That's not how mental health works or anxiety, especially. Um, if you've, if you guys listened to us for a long time, you know that we have been had ups and downs and ups and downs. And that is what happens with life. Um, but being able to have compassion for yourself when you are having those episodes again or those moments and know that they that you've gotten through things in the past that you thought you wouldn't survive and you've done it. Mm. Um, really talking to yourself in a way that you would like a little kid, right? Like you think about inner child work. I'm actually doing a live on that later today. Um, but talking to that inner child of yours that's scared and that is maybe feeling um, damaged or something because you have this anxiety. That was always me as a kid. I was a very highly sensitive child. I cried a lot. My feelings were not validated at all. I was actually, I, I remember when I was younger having older adults tell me, you're fine. You're okay. Stop. Like, that's not a big deal. Mm. Um, you know, that's not very validating, especially to a child. Mm. So I've learned how to do that within myself and how to really have that validation. And that's so lovely on the compassion side as well, you know, um, but it's in a child or, or whatever the, however the self-compassion presents is, I agree with you, is so important. Um, something I still work on as well. Um but you know it wavers some days we're very kind to ourselves sometimes we're not but yeah that's the foundation to recovery to healing um is is yeah you've got to be nice to yourself and, and truly understand what's happening because if if you fall into the trap of emotional conservatism which is when we revere hiding emotions when we see strength as measure strength in our ability to be infallible well that's one not realistic to just silly from a psychology point of view it makes no sense um and three it's just going to be a barrier you know once you realize okay i am struggling with this anxiety issue right now this is what i'm dealing with perhaps it's um i struggle with health anxiety and i'm compulsively seeking reassurance or perhaps i'm struggling with panic attacks and i'm obsessed about those panic attacks uh, perhaps I really struggle with social anxiety and I struggle to say no to people and I don't have personal boundaries and now it's affecting my personal life. Um, perhaps I have generalized anxiety disorder and my brain just wants to suggest the catastrophe in everything that I'm doing. Mm. Um, whatever it is that's happening, I need to kind of accept that's happening and be very nice to myself and go, right, what's next? Let's crack on with it. Yeah. I think I I think that there's two action steps.
So I meant to tell you this the other day, Taylor, because I went into the grocery store and I was craving green seedless grapes for some reason. I don't know why, but I was just craving it. Organic grapes, organic fruit, organic veggies only for me. That's all I want. And so I went in. I was so excited. I checked out. And honestly, not until I looked at the receipt, I saw how much I spent on the grapes and they were $12.49 for grapes. I was like, what the heck is going on? I feel like every single organic item I've tried to buy in the last couple of weeks are so expensive. And honestly, I'm tired of it, which is why I decided to switch over and use Thrive Market. I have also been using Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. I recently started cutting out toxic laundry detergents, and I love that I can find that there. And the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep is such a huge time saver. Plus, I do not like crowds, so that's always a plus as well. (laughs) What I love is that they carry some of my favorite brands that most grocery stores don't, like Primal Kitchen, Simple Mills, and Siete. And as a Thrive Market member, I can save money on every single order. On average, I save over 30% each time. My last order was, I think, $108, and my total was $67, which is almost 40% savings. I would never see that type of savings in grocery stores. On top of the massive savings on each order, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily, gives me cash back on so many brands, and they do a price match guarantee. Not only does Thrive Market save me money, but they also save me time. They have over 70 filters on their site, whether you're looking for gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials. I've struggled with IBS for years and I've wanted to try more clean eating lately, but didn't know where to start. And I was so excited when I saw that Thrive Market actually asks you about eating restrictions and what type of diets you're interested in. I was like, where has this been all my life? When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash anxietychicks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R- I-V-E market.com slash anxiety chicks. Thrivemarket.com slash anxiety chicks. That can be really, that should be very important in starting this journey. If you are listening and you're thinking, okay, where do I start? Really? What is? Okay. I think the first thing that can be really helpful because like you said, it's a lot about self-awareness, right? And someone listening might be like, okay, well, how do I, how do I even learn more about myself? Right? How do I learn about these patterns? I always um, advise my clients after the first session to do something called a brain dump, which essentially is not you don't worry about punctuation or grammar or anything take a piece of paper and just for 10 minutes write everything that's going on in your brain anything that you're thinking about you know i i give the example (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know and i say i give the example i say listen if you sit down and you're looking at the paper and in your brain at that moment is this exercise is so stupid i don't even know why i'm doing this write that down Mm-hmm. You know, like anything that just is coming to your brain. Who cares about punctuation? Not like just free associate for 10 minutes. And I get them in the habit of kind of doing that more often because we want to try and look for different patterns and and mm-hmm. what kinds of um, thoughts may be more intrusive or not. Because we have how many thoughts a day? Like 70,000 mm-hmm. or something. A lot of them are negative and are in our subconscious. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, it's it's really been helpful for me and for my clients to kind of look at their thoughts in a more organized way because a lot of people that struggle with anxiety, we like order, we like structure. <laughs> mm. um, and so that can be a really helpful, helpful thing. And if you are seeing a therapist, it can be great to do that and then kind of process that with a therapist together. Yeah, um, absolutely. Also, what I like about exercise um, – as long as it's not a compulsion, if you have OCD, don't do that then. But what I like about this exercise is Good that point. you're, you're yeah. practicing um, you're practicing being unfiltered, which is nice, isn't it? And maybe that 
and if you're somebody who struggles to open up yeah. or talk, it will also help with that. So yeah, that, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. that's a good point. Um, and then the other thing I would say, which can be really helpful, is starting to rate yourself. So, um, and I have ten out of ratings every day, Alison. All right. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to explain about the haircuts. rating scale. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. Of course. I was being, I was being on Tinder? Are the Tinder hot or not? Okay. Well, um, well, I go on to Tinder, make another profile to rate myself 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. That's a that's a level of narcissism I'm, I'm in awe of. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay, yes. Not that type of rating scale. Um, I actually... Have I have this rating scale in my book also because I just feel so strongly about it. And I created this myself based on a couple different things I read. But it's from one to ten because it's not zero because zero would mean that you just don't have emotion, which mm. you, is not possible, right? You're always going to have a level of – you're always going to have the emotions of scared, worry, lonely, happy, right? They're all temporary, but you can't just take them out of your psyche, Okay. Mm. So rate yourself in the morning and at night. Just start there. Okay. And the one is basically your happy place, the calmest you've ever been in your life. Like, where is that? Where can you visualize that? And 10 would be like the worst panic attack you've ever had or anxiety attack. And that like, you have to go to the hospital. You're there in the Mm. hospital. You know, where would you fall in that, in that rating scale? Um, and again, this is so helpful if you are seeing um, any type of counselor because then you can take note of this. And I ask my clients to do this throughout the week and then we process it together. And it's actually so great because it provides clues for them as to where their body is really dysregulated throughout the day. And then mm. we can connect that to certain triggers. And then we talk about – and then there's other CBT things I do. You guys know that that's like my thing. But um, I think those two action steps can be really effective when you're just starting the process of healing. Mm, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, it's It can be empowering. Uh, and you can also, because when you're enhancing your metacognitive awareness, um, which is vital for, I think, for overcoming disordered anxiety, uh, acknowledging, you know, even witnessing oh, there's my threat response going off can be empowering because it's like, oh, it's just decided to go off. I wonder what the trigger was. Maybe there wasn't even a trigger. Maybe you're just stressed. You know, sometimes there is no trigger. But what you can do is using, um, what's it called in CPT? Oh, yeah, subjective units of distress. Oh, yeah. If you want to impress people at parties, suds. The the suds scale. Yeah, suds scale. (laughs) And actually being like, oh, yeah. I I don't know about you, Alison, but how many times I get this all the time, like, like it's physiologically impossible for the body to maintain the same level of anxiety or any state because all feelings are transient uh, mm-hmm. at any point. And this just comes from me who had panic disorder and, and agoraphobia, probably 15 panic attacks a day. I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I hear a lot, particularly on social media pages and stuff, is that you know, I say, oh, and when the panic attack finishes, you know, this is what we can do. When the adrenaline is passed, mm. the cortisol is burned up, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I hear a lot is, yeah, but what if you're like me who's just anxious all day, every day? I'm panicking all day. I was like, well, you're not panicking all day, every day, you know? And if I actually work with them at a more, you know, at a one-to-one level, I would use those subjective units to distress and be like, okay, well, yeah, this morning you're a nine ten, and that's scary and well done for getting through it. But you're a four at this time. Try not to conceptualize your anxiety as something that's always there. It's it's omnipresent. It never shifts. It's it's completely unmalleable. No, no, it changes. It shifts. You can. You've always got something to work with with your anxiety and take encouragement from that. Yeah, I I love that. And that's actually um, a a big uh, – what I talk about in as far as the rating scale goes in my book about there's a parallel scale that I created as far as, you know, if you see yourself at this level, like maybe you're at like a three or four, but you can recognize that it's getting stronger, what are the tools that you can use in those moments to actually – 
create a sense of regulation so you don't go from like a four to like a seven really quick. Really? And so, uh, this is yeah. where we differ. I'm like, bring it on. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> Unless I, it's trauma. Unless it's trauma. I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, no, that's not discounting though what's happening. It's yeah. just, it's learning self-soothing ways to soothe yourself and soothe your body, especially for a lot of people that have health anxiety and they have so many physical symptoms and they get scared so easily. Their heart rate just, just there's there's so many ways to um, regulate your physical body that is so helpful. But what happens in panic disorder is that your brain doesn't allow that because your brain is saying something different mm. to you, right? So your brain is already catastrophizing. Yeah. It's doing all those intrusive, irrational types of things. So your body can't really regulate because of that. So um, it's important to kind of recognize that self-awareness piece is so important because if you can mm. learn that your body and you have the clues that your body is going from like a three, four to five and you're more self-aware, then mm. you can kind of stay at that at that balance instead of go jumping from a two to a 10. But most people with panic disorder, if it's untreated, they go from two to 10 all the time. There's no regulation yeah. at all. I, don't think, you know? I think it's very important um, to what I like is when you're looking at things through a regulation point of view, it's nice to see what you're doing. That's perhaps keeping the anxiety or, or maybe making the anxiety more intense and I'm not mean saying it's your fault but what I remember I used to do was I do things because I didn't want to feel that way so what I would do is I would do something called micro avoidances uh this was before I was self-aware of symptoms and body things like that um and it was I would do stuff like go to the theater and always take a cold bottle of water and sit on the end seat why? Because I was afraid of being afraid. Um, I used to, every time I got on the train or the bus, I had to be near the fire exit. Every time I went to the shopping mall, I had to know the way out. And I had to take a bag of sweets with me, just mm -hmm. in case, because they were magic. You know. But what I'm actually doing there is I'm making anxiety worse because my brain can see that I'm bringing tools. So what I'm actually doing is teaching the brain Anxiety isn't safe. So what's really important is you've got to realize is that anxiety is horrible. I know. I know it's horrible. And when it's there a long time, it can make you depressed and it's horrible. Mm. But what you've got to realize is that, yeah, I don't wish a 10 out of 10 on, on anyone, but it's safe. You are safe. And you've got to realize that it's safe. Now, if you can regulate that body quicker, great. And if yeah. those techniques yeah. of self-soothing are working for you and, and stuff like that, brilliant. But if you're ever caught in the midst of it and maybe a certain technique isn't working one day or maybe you've forgotten these safety tools, yes. always know that you can and it will always tolerate it. You might not tolerate it in the way you like. I thought I have a panic attack, so I'm like, I'm really not tolerating this well. But I did. You always do it. I've never met someone who has never not tolerated anxiety at its highest. I'm talking people that have been almost catatonic, but they've always tolerated it, you know, because uh, it's not hurting you. But as it depends, so and and with trauma, it's a bit different. Maybe you got a if you've got PTSD anxieties, it's a bit different. And yeah, okay, it can't hurt you. But what you can do is that's when I believe the the self-soothing technique stuff's really, really powerful. Oh, yeah. Like the somatic, somatic work yeah, is really incredible powerful. for trauma. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think kind of what comes to my head when you say that is, is how I reiterate all the time that you cannot die from a panic attack. No. Like but you if, cannot what die. What if I'm the first, Alison? From a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. I right? get like, all the time. <laughs> Yeah. You cannot die. But guess what? The person in that panic attack is not thinking rationally in that moment. The brain is not working in the way that's going to get them out of that, which is why when you're in that really dysregulated state, sometimes there is nothing like those tools that is going to hmm. – that, that's not – 
the goal of those tools is to use that when you're at a nine or a 10. The goal of those tools is to actually create a daily habit of self-regulation and self-soothing when you're not anxious Mm. or like when you're lower, when you have a lower vibration and you actually have more self-awareness. Yeah. Is what I'm doing right now going to contribute to my stress jug or is it going to help me empty it a bit or stop it from filling up? Um, yeah, I would do that as well. I'd probably do some nice self-soothing tech, just behaviors that I know are good for me. Looking like a hot cup of tea. Yeah. Like what's in your toolkit? Yeah. yeah. What's in my toolkit? What do you have in your toolkit? I'm curious. You like tea. Uh, Tea is for me too. So the other day I realized that I have seven different streaming subscriptions, including cable, which I think is insane. But the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that for a second. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you bought to watch just one show on, I've been there, or that free trial that you've never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you, so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Take it from me, managing money is hard, but you don't have to do it alone because Rocket Money helps you save more, spend less, see everything you've been spending, and take back control of your financial life. Believe me, I stink at money management. Sometimes I just Google, help me adult with my money better. (laughs) Rocket Money helped me lower my bills, notifies me whenever there's been a change to recent bills, and reminds me to put money away a little bit for savings. Rocket Money has seriously been such a help. Stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash anxietychicks. That's rocketmoney.com slash anxietychicks. Rocketmoney.com slash anxietychicks. Uh, I like I like playing video games. Uh, okay. I, I will listen to audiobooks. I will sometimes meditate if I'm in the mood. Mm-hmm. I love a hot bath, even though I'm oh too big gosh. for it. A uh, hot bath. Okay. Yeah. Um, I play. I've started playing a, a sport that is, that's crazy in, in in the US. I play a pickleball over here. I so just I get, started uh, taking yeah. lessons. Pickling. I'm, I've got pretty I love good. It. Now. So that's my yeah yeah that's pretty good. Uh, I'm I enjoying it. that now. Um, yeah, it's fun. Um, but yeah, just things uh, going out with mates, you know. Yeah. I mean, even, even some non-conventional stuff like uh, I'm very passionate about this. You might not you might not agree, but like sometimes I'll just go around my mates, have a glass of wine, and watch some track TV. <laughs> yes, I of find course. that very. I, I find I that approve very of nurturing. that. Yeah, I very find much that very nurturing. <laughs> you know, some I've been on some podcasts. They're like, what? Alcohol's bad for you. I like, know it is, but come on, I wanted to chill out. <laughs> you know, like you know, okay, breathing's no. bad for us. You know, like come on. <laughs> yes, I, I don't vices. think you know. Obviously, it shouldn't be a dependency thing, but yes, that's 
oh, if no. you're using it in moderation. Oh, yeah. I know. That's, I think, where people get, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, that is quite a great toolkit. I love that. That actually sounds similar to mine, except I would definitely include um, yoga in that. I'm a huge... Mm huge um is huge for my nervous system and um the yoga studio i go to around me is so different than anyone i've anyone's i've ever been to because it really is it connects the mind and the body so much and is more of a spiritual experience than just an exercise class mm. you know yeah and i think that's like the only way that really works for me um but yeah, I mean, definitely those the, those types of tools, it's so incredible to learn what works for you, but you definitely have to be in a state where you have this awareness. You can't just be practicing all these things when you're at an eight, nine, and 10 and think that you're just going to be like, it's your... Yeah, yeah I, I call them if eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, it, when people are really highly anxious and they'll say, well, if I cut out gluten, even though I'm not a celiac... Right. Uh, I won't be anxious. If I um, cut out caffeine, uh, I will do that. If I um, do go for a 10K hike every morning, I won't be anxious. If I go to the gym three times a day, if I meditate for five hours a day. If you're an if I person, just know that what are you signaling to the brain, your threat response about anxiety when you do that? What's mm -hmm. because, because the amygdala in your brain is always listening and always watching. And if it's sat there, sat in his chair with a pipe, you know, going, what, what are you doing that for? And it's always asking, it's always going, what are you doing that for? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why are you cutting out having your sandwich in the morning? Oh, because you don't like the feeling that I give you. Well, I, I must be even more important then. Oh, you're going oh, to go do some box breathing in there even though you're only a four or whatever or a nine or whatever well yeah whatever you know i'll do that and it's always watching and will wire itself around your beliefs and behaviors um because it thinks it's helping just like let's say if you're bitten by a dog when you're a child you know the amygdala is like well that's a danger so all dogs are dangerous mm -hmm. and obviously not all dogs are dangerous but if you want to challenge that you've got to be like well I got to show the amygdala that dogs aren't dangerous. What what better way to do that um, than wrestling a Doberman? No, don't do that. But you know, like kind of, well, you can if you want. But um, just starting off slowly and teaching it that, and the same applies with anxiety. In yeah. my opinion, yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's um, essentially why exposure is so helpful, right? Yeah, for for those types of like if there's phobias and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that. I don't think that you can really have access to feeling, um, even if, you know, we know healing is not linear and all that stuff. Mm. I don't know if there is a way to manage anxiety. Like people talk about curing anxiety, right? I don't necessarily feel like there's just this cure where it goes away forever. I just don't know because we have to learn how to live with situations that make us scared and make us worried. So we're going to have those emotions. So how do we live with when we are having those experiences and they're feeling and there there's a discomfort, but we can manage it and we can move through it. And I think that's yeah. kind of learning how we can do that. Right. And, and sit with the discomfort. Mm. And so much of what you're talking about is really trying to work on the way that we think about things. Right. Absolutely. Um, and you're right about that. It's, about, it's not expecting that's actually a really for the theme and title of this podcast, the that's a huge one. Not seeing the presence of anxiety as failure. This is one of my mottos in my practice is that recovery, recovery from anxiety, anxious recovery, is not the accumulation of its absence. It's your willfulness and your to what to, to tolerate it. Now, I didn't have. I went four years without even thinking about my anxiety. Uh, after being locked in my room for a lot. Now, I get it now and then, but not helped by things like pandemics and stuff like that, Yeah, uh, as well as life things that get in the way. And yeah, will one foot go into the disordered route again? Yeah, it will. And for people with OCD, like I have, yeah, my brain is an obsessive brain. It will fixate. And it will fixate particularly when I'm stressed. Um, 
I'm okay with that because that same brain can do wonderful things. That same brain can, you can't have one without the other. I can write books and podcasts and be creative and listen to music, play music even, create, write poetry. That same brain is capable, you know, that's the plus side that we need to remember. But on on the flip side is that your brain will, will be actually... You know, it will use that wonderful imagination for bad, and anyone with anxiety will will can uh, can relate to the fact that the brain has a wonderful imagination. Oh yeah. So, but my biggest tip is probably stop. Yeah, stop seeing it as failure. Oh, I'm anxious, even though I shouldn't be. You know, I'm watching a movie with the family. Why am I anxious? If your first response to that is to be angry with yourself, absolutely not. And just seeing it as failure, it's an opportunity to practice what Dr. Sally Winston and Marty Steve say. I'm not, I've adopted it as my own, but I always got to keep credited. And then when I'm on podcast, it's like, you know, it's, it's the willful tolerance of uncertainty, knowing that you're safe. Now you might want to do that a bit at a time. It's scary. You might want to do it with a partner to begin with. You might yeah. want to do it just for 10 minutes. You might want to do it in the confines of a safe place, but keep pushing yourself and you'll be like, actually, Actually, I don't like the word pushing, but encouraging yourself. There and you'll you be like, actually, I've realized after all this time, I am capable of dealing with more than what my my anxiety persuaded me I could. Um, uh, that was the same philosophy that I had when I couldn't even leave my bedroom for, for like a year. Really bad. But just applying that, like, okay, there we go. Let's see what we can do. But yeah, I just thought I'd shoehorn that in there because it's really important. If you like, every time you're anxious, you see it as failure. No, you got to you got to reframe that. Well, and you know what I just heard you say that whole thing in my mind was he's really giving himself some self. He's giving himself self compassion Mm. in those moments, right? Like, yeah, I wasn't always great at it, by the way. (laughs) No, who is? I mean, really, I'm sorry. It is hard to to nurture yourself in those moments. But really, that is, again, that sort of brain challenge. The cognitive piece of that is recognizing what is that internal dialogue going on right now. And that takes a lot of self-awareness, again, (laughs) to do. You're not going to be able to have those conversations when you're at at like a 9 and 10. You're just not. Mm. it takes a lot of guidance and a lot of help and work to know how to speak to yourself in those moments. Mm. Um, I love, I'm a huge fan of Louise Hay. I don't know if you have ever heard of her, but she is like the queen of affirmations and there's a lot of debate on affirmations, but she explained it in a way that helped me understand because I really didn't even honestly enjoy or like a lot of that work in the past. Um, And she talks a lot about mirror work as well. And so, again, when you're feeling like you're at a more balanced state and you're at like the lower end, you have some self-awareness about your anxiety. Maybe you've worked through a little bit of what we've talked about today. Mirror work is wonderful and really working on some self-compassion and ways you can talk to yourself in a, in a, in differently when those feelings arise. Um, is it going to be a huge part of this? And that is honestly going to be the work that you need to do every day. Mm. That part of yourself that is going to feel damaged about your anxiety or people pleases or thinks people are mad at you or like thinks you're, you know, so ashamed because you, you know, did those compulsions again. And you're like, why is this happening again? I can't believe I didn't have a panic attack for three years. Now I had another one. And you just feel like horrible about yourself. Mm. You like, yeah, you're it's not a failure, right? This is part of the journey and part of healing. 100%. And the people that are more susceptible to this voice are people that have grown up particularly in difficult households. Maybe it's uh, been quite a turbulent household. Maybe you've been in an abusive relationship. Perhaps you are in an abusive relationship right now. Um, The people who are grieving, people who feel guilty, people who uh, you know struggle with imposter stuff, perfectionists, yep. uh, people who placate, people yep. who just struggle with that barrier towards kind of giving themselves a pat on the back. Just know that whatever it is you've done or wherever you are or no matter how you've grown up or whatever beliefs about yourself you've interjected, just realize that you always deserve enough self-compassion to, to, to make progress, 
And also, I can back that up because even if you're self-critic, be like, well, you, you're going to be the best version of yourself when when you're feeling non-anxious, aren't you? So it's a bit like, well, hear me out on this. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I've been telling my clients lately a lot that when they're having a feeling, sad, happy, you know, scared, excited, whatever, it's not good or bad. It just is. Right. There's some feelings that don't feel good, but just because you're feeling sad or scared, it doesn't mean you're bad. Mm. So that has to do a lot with like the core beliefs a lot of times, but you know, they just are. So you're feeling sad and that's valid. You're scared of something. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a great conversation. Oh my gosh. I really, I feel like I could talk about this with you for like another two hours. This is so great. Maybe we can have you back on when Taylor can join. Yeah, that'd be nice. Because I know she would, she would love to hear. I mean, you guys share similar experiences with panic disorder because she had it for a long time too. So. Mm, yeah, no, that's that's good. I'd love to. I'd love to. It's a shame Taylor was on today, but I've actually had a, the opportunity to uh, have a lovely talk with you, just one to one. It's been very nice. Yeah, yeah. So tell everyone where they can find you and your amazing books and all the stuff you have coming up. Yeah, just. just look. I mean, my name's Joshua Fletcher. Just type that in. Or Anxiety Josh is my social media stuff. Um, yeah, you can just find me that way. Just type in Google or something. You'll you'll find my uh, my uh, face staring back at you, <laughs> anxiety <laughs> inducing. But yeah, um, but yeah, um, yeah. Feel free, you know, do Good. that. That's, that's fine. Thank you, and thank you for uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Anytime, we'd love to have you. Thank you so much for everything and everyone. Go follow Anxiety Josh. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.